Welcome to Across the States, the ALEC podcast, focusing on state policy and state solutions. I'm Dan Reynolds, your host. Today, I'm sitting down with former Representative Ken Ivory from Utah, who is the chair for the Center to Restore Balance in Government here at ALEC. He teaches at Utah Valley University, and he's the senior VP currently at a land governance organization called Aon AI. Ken, thanks so much for joining. Hey, it's a pleasure to be on, Dan. Thank you. Of course. Thank you so much. So today we're going to be talking about federalism. President's Day is coming up, and there's a really interesting connection that we can make to President's Day, some of our early presidents, what the presidency is supposed to look like, how it looks today, and maybe how we can fix some elements of expansive federal government using the presidency as an example. Can you talk to me a little bit about President's Day and federalism and maybe talk to me about some of the earlier presidents and what they had to say about the office of the presidency and how it dealt with states? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a great place to start, Dan. And it, it's almost a little amusing when you ask that question. The first thing that pops to my mind is, uh, is Bono from U2. And, you know, Bono, has, there's a great clip. You can find it on YouTube. And he says, uh, America is an ideal. Unlike any other country, America is an ideal for everyone in the world. And it's this ideal of liberty and this ideal of being protected in life and liberty and property, and then having the ability to create in unfathomable ways. And that was the ideal that they fought for. And, and, and when they did that, they, they gave us the recipe in the Declaration of Independence. They said, and to secure these rights, governments exist among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That was the whole point of government, was to secure the right of the people to unleash their godlike ability to create. And that's what that system was about. And so as they went to work on what kind of a system will best secure those rights of the people to unleash that creative genius, clearly they came, uh, you know, democracies are as short in their lives as they are violent in their deaths, Madison says in the Federalist Papers. Uh, but, and then they, they landed on republics, but not just any republic. They created an entirely unique form of government that they called a compound republic. Madison in Federalist 51 says, the powers divided among two distinct governments, and they'll control each other as a double security to the rights of the people. And so this idea of this balance and limit and division of power in a system of government, Justice Kennedy has said that was our unique contribution to the world of political science. This, this federalism system of limited, divided, and balanced governing powers to have internal and external checks. Yeah, I think that's uh, a really great way to put it. And, you know, to me, I find uh, the topic of federalism really awesome and important, but there's also an aspect of it that I kind of uh, think is a little funny in a, an interesting way. And what I mean by that is it's kind of a point within constitutionalism. And the reason why I say a point is because today, many people who argue for federalism as an overarching principle writ large, they're saying to go back to a point, you know, the federal government has become too strong. At the time of the Constitution, federalism was similarly a point, but they were saying to go toward it, right? They were 
creating this new constitution that had more powers than the Articles of Confederation did, that was federalism at its time then. And today we talk about federalism kind of going back. And it's interesting. And the reason why I think that is, is because it goes back to uh, constitutionalism, right? The constitution lists out X, Y, Z, A, B, C, how things should be done in our federalist system, in our republic. Talk to me a little bit about that. How did, let's say, George Washington view the presidency? Yeah, you know, I really like the way you frame that, Dan, because that's what gives me the greatest hope today. Opinion polls across the nation, across the political spectrum, people are exasperated. They feel like there's no efficiency, no effectiveness, no accountability in government at the national level. And the polls will also say they trust those that are the closest to them, their local government, their state government. Well, that is a very natural uh, route in this federalism system. And so when you talk about that, I think that looking toward a point is something that we have the opportunity to get back to because federalism at its root cause, at its root foundation, is about diversity. It's about celebrating diversity. It's about self-governance that Utah is not like California, and it shouldn't have to be. And California is not like Texas, and it shouldn't have to be. And so this idea of federalism where you know, you have, uh, it's been described by Justice Brandeis as the laboratories of democracy. Uh, Jonathan Turley, uh, who's been in the news quite a bit lately, talks about it as having 50 gardens that can bloom and create this incredible mosaic. I love that will, line. That's awesome. Yeah. And he'll quote um, Alexis de Tocqueville and said, you know, it was such an incredible thing, this system in America where it seems like they're all going a different direction and yet they move forward in liberty and prosperity faster than anything else going 50 different directions potentially. So, so that system is critical. And they talked about it, Dan. They talked about it as a system, like they built a machine for us. James Wilson, one of the most prominent founders, uh, George Washington appointed him to the U.S. Supreme Court. He had been involved in the Declaration, in the Articles, in the Constitution. He said that the Constitution deserves praise for the line drawn between the powers of the, the national government and the states. And he said, we drew them with as much accuracy as was possible. And, and that idea of that separation, I love what you, you mentioned, Washington, what he said in his farewell address. And, you know, the farewell address used to be one of the four main documents, the source documents that were studied in school, of course, the Declaration, right. the Articles, the Constitution. Yeah. And George Washington's farewell address. And he says, he said, I love this line. It is important, likewise, that the habits of thinking in a free country, if we have our wits about us, the habits of thinking in a free country should inspire caution in those entrusted with its administration to confine themselves within their respective constitutional spheres, avoiding in the exercise of the powers of one department to encroach upon another. The spirit of encroachment tends to consolidate the powers of government all into one and thus to create whatever the form of government, a real despotism, a just estimate of the love of power, the proneness to abuse it, which predominates in the human heart is sufficient to satisfy us to the truth of this position. And then he says, the necessity of reciprocal checks in the exercise of political power by dividing and distributing into different departments and constituting each the guardian of the public good against invasions of the other 
has been so important by ancient and modern experiments. He says, I love this line, Dan, to preserve these reciprocal checks must be as necessary as to institute them. Mm. He's saying that our, our job today, our job to preserve that system, to maintain that machine, to repair this system and structure that they've given us is every bit as important as it was for him to cross Valley Forge or to cross the Delaware, I'm sorry, to, to wage that battle, to lose and lose and lose and, you know, crossing the Delaware victory or death and all that went into that to preserve these checks is as important as it was for them to institute it. Yeah, that, that's a really important lesson. I think our uh, listeners should be emboldened to remember. Um, most of them are state legislators, a lot of them state policy wonks and people who are who really care about the balance between our state governments, federal government, and most importantly, to ensure that that balance optimizes, I guess would be an interesting word to use, individual liberty, right? At the core of all of this is the individual. It's individual liberty. It's prosperity for people. To that end, you know, you talked about how it's our job to preserve federalism, or rather you're quoting uh, George Washington, that that's our important job. You know, how far have we come today from you know, getting an A plus on our job, let's say, uh, you know, what are some of the things that maybe we've, uh, dropped off the books? Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that really is a key question. Well, to be able to do the job, you have to know the job. I, I speak very often on these topics and, and people ask me, what do we do? And I say, it's very simple. It's very simple. Just say, no, there are three no's. We have to know who our representatives are. And we have to know them like you would know a trusted employee. Yeah. You have to know if they know their job, which means we have to know their job and you have to know if they're doing their job. And, you know, for state representatives, we have to clearly know our job. Dan, when I was first elected in 2010, we were reading the constitution as a family. We were kind of excited about this, wanting to know what the handbook said. And yeah, and uh, got to Article 6, and it says the members of the state legislatures are bound by oath or affirmation to uphold and defend the United States Constitution. And, you know, for some reason at that time, knowing I was going to raise my hand and swear an oath, and it just, just hit me like a ton of bricks. What did they intend for me as a state legislator to do to uphold and defend the United States Constitution? And, and what powers did they give me to be able to do that? And that question just weighed on me. And so I went back and tried to study as much as I could, uh, Federalist Papers, Founders, uh, uh, the original thought and intent of that Article 6. And at one point, I took all my notes and took my trailer and went up into the mountains for several days by myself and gathered my notes and put them together in a little outline. And and I sent them to Rob Nadelson. You probably know Rob. He's done a lot of work yeah. with us uh, uh, a constitutional historian, uh, retired law professor. I send them to Rob, and I remember vividly. I'm mean, here. I was just elected as a new state representative, and I got a voicemail from Rob, and he says, "This is really good. We need to get this out to everyone." And and could I write a foreword for it? And, and so that's what we did. It's a little book called "Where's the Line: How the States Protect the Constitution." If you'd like, we can put a link somewhere on this. And yeah, we'll put it in the for all our listeners. We'll put it in the show notes for sure. Yeah, we give a free download. And, and it's just a little book that I actually wrote to myself to know what did they intend? What do they expect? And, and really, it was just that, that at the state level, we are the maintenance engineers. And, and one of the quotes that really stands out to me, one of the statements on this very thing 
when James Madison was introducing the Bill of Rights in the very first Congress, I mean, that was the ratification debate was a battle. And unless they agreed to institute a Bill of Rights in the first Congress, they would never have ratified the Constitution. And so James Madison dutifully is introducing this in the first Congress, Dan. And here's what he said in introducing the Bill of Rights. He said, the state legislatures will jealously and closely watch the operations of the national government. And they, the state legislatures, will be able to resist with more effect every assumption of power better than any power on earth can do because they are the sure guardians of the people's liberty. That's an awesome quote. I really like that a lot. Yeah, when you ask how far have we come, we've not looked at the system. If if you think of it in an analogy like a bike, a bicycle, you know, they talk about these two spheres that are, you know, have limits, divisions, and balance. And if you've got the front tire of the bike is so bloated and about to explode, and the back tire of the bike is, is so flat, it's about to chew the rubber off the rim. And all we talk about is should... Uh, in 2016, should Trump or Clinton ride the bike? And now should Trump or Buttigieg or Trump or Elizabeth Warren ride the bike? And should they take it to the right or take it to the left? And the real work that the founders gave us was fix the bike, keep the bike in impeccable operating condition, keep the front tire at its manufactured specifications, few and defined powers, keep the back tire at its manufactured specifications, numerous and indefinite powers, because that's where the people have accountability. That's where they can have their hands on the rudder of efficiency, effectiveness, accountability, and government have that diversity in their states. And that was the system that they gave us. And so, yeah, we strayed very far from that. And I think that's why we feel the frustration uh, in many ways, no matter who happens to be in power. And then Everything shifts wildly to one direction, and then when the other party's in power, it shifts wildly the other way. It was never intended to be that way. You know, that's a really important lesson I think our listeners uh, would find important and you know interesting to learn about. And I'm really excited for our listeners to take a peek at your, your book there. Um, and learn a little bit about, you know, maybe some solutions and then a little bit more on the state of play of federalism today and the relation between states and the federal government. To that end, you know, we've come pretty far from the founders and George Washington's conception. And we've maybe, at least it sounds like you would argue, failed or had a little bit of uh, dereliction in our duty toward being, uh, you know, you said it was our job or you quoted Washington saying it was our job to preserve the federalist system. So, you know, moving forward, this is where we're at today, right? So moving forward, what can we do, right? I mean, and how can we achieve a better system that helps individual liberty flourish? Yeah, that's the great question. Keeping in mind that this is all about securing the rights of people to unleash their creative genius. Jefferson gave us the recipe when he was uh, speaking in the notes on Virginia, and it actually came, he was quoting Madison from Federalist 48, And he said, we didn't fight for an elective despotism. Um, We fought for a government that would be founded on true free principles where the powers of government would be so divided and balanced among the spheres of government that no one could transcend their legal limits without being effectively checked and restrained by the others. That's the recipe, Dan. That's the recipe. There were limits, divisions, and balance of governing powers 
responsibility of the states to do that. And, and for many years, we've been waiting for someone in Washington to solve the problem. That's not happening. And it was never intended to be that way. And so uh, what we're proposing, and many states are acting on this, is to run resolutions, to to generate sign-on letters mm. to the three organizations that represent states, ALEC, NCSL, and CSG, calling for the creation of a national federalism task force, mm. that we get these organizations that represent states together, and we start looking at what does that look like today in 2020? What do the limits, the divisions, and balance of governing powers look like? Because, Dan, state legislators cannot defend a line they that don't they know can't about. first define. Yeah, That's exactly right. You know, we're, we're, we're out there running around as if we're on a football field with no lines on it and, and <laughs> wondering which direction to go. Or how many yards we still have to go for a first down, right? You don't even yeah, know. Exactly right. Yeah. yeah, exactly right. So, so, so step one is we have to clearly understand where we are. And then looking at that recipe, how do we, how do we begin to understand again what some clear lines, limits, divisions, and balance are? I mean, James Wilson said they were so well-defined that that this is why the Constitution deserves praise. They were they were enumerated as minutely as was possible. But we've got to get back to that point and and to get the state organizations together to get clarity, not political, structural clarity across the political spectrum. Because I think most people would agree that that at the state level, I mean, for example, in Utah, 85% of the time our legislation is passed with majority bipartisan support. In Washington, that's about 10 to 15% of the time. We debate, we have a vigorous uh, debate and challenge, and 85% of the time we come together in a bipartisan fashion on the legislation that we do. Now, that's not the same in every state, but at the state level, you have to look your neighbors in the eye and you have to deal with them on, on how you're dealing with education and roads and public safety and sick people and poor people. And there's just no way around that. So to look at those limits, divisions, and balance, that's where um, calling on these organizations to first create the National Federalism Task Force and then begin to look at a series of issue-specific summits on what does federalism, what do these limits look like in uh, workforce services, for example, or education, uh, agriculture, you know, what have you, and begin to look at what that structure and that balance is again, so that we do have more efficiency and effectiveness and accountability in government. Yeah. Let's get let's get Washington to do the things that only Washington can do and focus on those and do those very well. There's a great yeah. quote by Peter Drucker, management expert Peter Drucker. He said, sometimes we have to quit trying to do better that which we should not be doing at all. I like that a lot. And I I just think that's such an important lesson. And Really, the accountability angle, I think, is really the key, at least for me as an individual when thinking about federalism, because frankly, my state representative, my state senator is far more accountable to my vote than my U.S. House of Representative or my U.S. Senator. Um, my vote is in a much smaller pool when it comes to my state rep and my state senator, which means I have a lot more influence on them. And that means that I can hold them accountable. That means I can make sure programs are being passed that I like. Programs are being managed correctly, right? I think a lot of times about it 
in the sense of political energy. You know, individuals have a set amount, right? It varies from person to person, kind of just like any interest would, right? Some people like The Bachelor, some people hate it. Some people love football, some people hate football. But there's this, you know, amount of energy that someone will spend on any one of those topics. And the same is true with politics and policy. Someone has a set amount of energy. And right now, across the country, a vast amount of it is directed almost solely toward the federal government when there's these state governments that are far more accountable to them. And if we can reorient through incentives of federalism, having more policies back in the state houses and the state senates, that actually creates more accountability for individual liberty. And I uh, just want to thank you for coming on the podcast today. I think that does bring us to the end of our segment, but I know our listeners will be really interested in learning more about federalism from this conversation and make sure you guys check out the book that we'll have a download link for where's the line in our show notes ken thank you so much for coming on the show today hey dan it's my pleasure i look forward to visiting with you again always a pleasure here uh, to have you on the show and to have you at our different events and meetings like that Um, if you guys are at all interested in being featured on the Across the States podcast, please email across the states at alec.org and we would love to feature your work or what you're talking about in the state houses. I'm Dan Reynolds, your host. Thank you for listening to Across the States, the leading state focused policy podcast presented by the American Legislative Exchange Council, the premier free market organization of and for legislators. To learn more about our work or to make a tax deductible donation, visit alec.org. Tell us what you think on Facebook and Twitter at Alex States. The views and opinions expressed on Across the States are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the American Legislative Exchange Council.